to Colossians chapter 4, which is page 1185. And tonight we're just looking at one verse, Colossians 4 verse 12. Now if you've been at the Church of Prayer uh, as a regular, you'll know that to learn from and to fuel our prayers, we've been looking at prayers that Paul prayed. Tonight, slight tangent, uh, we're looking at an example to follow. Someone who Paul holds up in this letter in Colossians and says, okay, this guy does prayer well, copy him. And that is someone called Epaphras. Now, a general point to start off with, it's always intrigued me the amount of time that the Apostle Paul gives to what you might call social networking in his epistles. So even in a weighty, doctrinally heavy book like Romans, the whole final chapter is given to what? Oh, say hi to her. (laughs) He says hi to you. Uh, Give him a kiss when he comes. It's intriguing. Lots of social networking. And I guess it's a reminder in some ways that gospel ministry is primarily about people. It results in gospel partnership. And it is not a one-man, lone ranger ministry. It is every person actively engaged in the task of the gospel. Now, another general point. In all these... At lists that you get at the end of Paul's letters, you get a bunch of seemingly random people who Paul has only ever crossed paths with, maybe for what, a couple of weeks? Uh, Just brush shoulders with them and then suddenly they end up for the rest of human history in God's sufficient, enduring word. (laughs) And Paul just picks up on one maybe leading character, character trait of these people and gives them a little one-liner. Let me give you a few examples. Uh, We learn about Rufus's mummy. (laughs) We know very little about Rufus. We know even less about his mother. And yet in Romans 16, we read, Great Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to to me. So this woman, Rufus's mummy, don't know her name, But she endures her legacy for the rest of human history because she was a really godly woman who mothered the Apostle Paul. Isn't that brilliant? What about Gaius? We read about him a little bit more than Rufus' mummy. He comes up a couple of times in Acts. And then again at the end of Acts 16 we read, Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, sends you his greetings. So Gaius lives on. His legacy endures for the church in history for being someone who through a good house party for Paul and the rest of the Roman church. But there are tragedies. There are people who endure amongst the shadows of human history rather than having their name up in lights. Do you remember Demas? The last time we hear of Demas, all it says is, he abandoned me because he loved the world. Do you remember Alexander, the metal worker? We just read of him. He, he did me much harm. Beware of him. And then do you remember Syntyche and Euodia, who Paul pleads with and says, agree in the Lord. These people live on just a little one-liner, either because they advanced the gospel or they hindered it. Now here's the scary thought. Imagine the Apostle Paul passed through Charlotte Chapel for a couple of weeks and he wrote a one-liner about you, picking up on your lead characteristic what would he write something that advances the gospel or something that hinders would he say of me 
Andy the faithful, Andy the uh, humble servant, Andy the one tried and tested, filled with God's spirit, or would he say, Andy the lazy, Andy the divisive, Andy the arrogant, Andy the thorn in the elder side. Challenge, isn't it? One thing that would endure. Well, one good guy, one gospel-advancing gospel partner was this guy called Epaphras the wrestler. One thing we learn of him, Colossians 4 verse 12, look at it. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. Here's a bit. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. Now, we're just going to notice a few things about Epaphras and how he can teach us to pray. I don't know if that's what it looked like. Uh, it's just a guess. It might be Liam Garvey under the mask, actually. You never know. Um, three things about Epaphras. Uh, when he prayed, how he prayed, and who he prayed for. When did he pray? Have a look. Epaphras always wrestling in prayer. You convicted by that first word? Always. I wonder if we chose an adverb that described your prayer life, what would it be? Uh, always? Sometimes? Intermittently? Never? Convicting, isn't it? <laughs> Yet yeah, here's a guy who is always wrestling in prayer. There is our aim. There is our standard to aim for. There is a fitness to improve in. That it could be said of us, just like some people, they're always singing, or he is always eating, that it could be said of us, they are always praying. So that it tops and tails our day. Start of the day, end of the day. So that before every significant activity in our daily schedule, we beforehand say, Lord, please. And at the end, we say, oh, Lord, thank you. So that whenever someone comes to our house, when they say, oh, we must be leaving, you say, oh, well, we must pray. And whenever you hook up with someone for a coffee or for a drink or for lunch, the final end of the conversation is, how can I be praying for you? And then you pray. Or at the start of that conversation, you say, hey, last time we met, it was months ago, but we were praying for this. How are you getting on with that? So that it could be said of you, they are always praying. Uh, and the always is made up of lots of different moments, isn't it? The always, the big always, is made up of a lot of moments. So this week, how can you redeem the moments? Maybe when you're waiting for the kettle to boil. Uh, maybe when your toddler is taking a nap. Uh, maybe when you've got 10 minutes on your lunch break. You just say, okay, I'm going to redeem that time and increase the always this week. Second thing, how does he pray? Wrestling. <laughs> wrestling. He is always wrestling. Now, although always convicts me, actually I find the word wrestling quite comforting because it infers that prayer is quite hard. And I find prayer hard. Is that a common experience? But it says here, prayer is a physical activity. It is an athletic image that he uses. It is something where our fitness needs to be increased and you have to contend to fight in prayer. You might need an early night tonight to make sure you get up and pray tomorrow morning. You might need caffeine beforehand. You might need a shower afterwards. And you might need an accountability partner to help you in it. But we have to wrestle. I don't know. Often, as soon as I get down to prayer, oh, a little distraction. <laughs> and up, I'm off. 
Actually, we need to decide beforehand, tomorrow morning, okay, this day I fight. This day I wrestle in prayer. I'm going to fight so that I can wrestle for those people I need to pray for. Wrestle for my day ahead. Decide beforehand that you're going to forget the distractions, forget anything else that comes to mind, and say, no, no, this morning I wrestle in prayer. And it might affect all of you. There are some things in prayer which you can't do driving to work might engage you emotionally. It ought to engage all our affections. It ought to maybe engage us physically. Maybe it's getting down on your knees in humility. Maybe it is lying on your face in confession and conviction. Maybe it is standing up in joy. Maybe it is dancing in ecstasy. But prayer is this wrestling that engages all of who we are. He wrestles. Then who does he pray for? So he is always wrestling in prayer for you, we read. His prayer life is thoroughly other person-centered. So just as his Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, was one who was crucified, whose blood was spilt to reconcile us to God, it was all for us. Just as Epaphras' master, Paul, was someone who we read in Colossians, he suffered for them. Well, Epaphras' prayer life is for others, for the church in Colossae. Do you know, as I've read that this week, I've been very convicted that my prayer life is self-centered. It is so often an expression of my selfishness. Uh, I consume a lot of my prayer time. And I guess that's often a notice that our prayer lives are quite inconsistent. And so it becomes in a moment of panic. Oh, I need help now. Okay, Lord, help me. But actually, Epaphras says, no, I'm going to wrestle for others. It is a supreme act of service to be someone who prays. Maybe you think, oh, I can't do anything for Jesus in this church. Do you know one way you can serve every single member is to pray? It's a really service, self-giving thing. So pray through your membership directory. Pray for your fellowship group. Pray for your ministry area. And be a servant of Christ like Epaphras. Uh, Maybe it's an incentive to get to know people in your fellowship group because to know them will help you to pray. Maybe it's an incentive to get to know your Bible because then you'll learn how to pray for them. See Epaphras, he is always wrestling in prayer. Now, a little encouragement for you here. Look how he's described in verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you. He's not a superhero. This is not something that you cannot attain to. He's one of you. one of us. Always wrestling in prayer. Now, one final application. Isn't it often when you go to a prayer meeting, it is dominated by an older generation and often dominated by women? And so here's a challenge to the young people in the church to be wrestlers, to commit now, to decide now that I am going to be a wrestler for Christ like Epaphras. And blokes, uh, prayer is no sissy endeavor. It is wrestling. Be wrestlers for Christ. Take Epaphras as your role model to be someone who will serve your wife, serve your family, serve your church, to be a wrestler in prayer. We lost Joyce Hewitt last Saturday. She was a wrestler. (laughs) wasn't she? Those of you who knew Joyce, a wrestler for Christ in prayer. 
That's one less on earth. Uh, we need to step up that Charlotte would be a church of wrestlers, always wrestling in prayer for each other. Well, we're going to pray.